All right, thank you, Morgan. If you guys have not turned there already, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We are quickly drawing to a close in our study that we've titled Activate, Learning to Put Our Faith into Action. Uh, We've been here for quite some time now, uh, several months And I hope it's been equipping for you as we've learned how to grow in a weakness in all of us. And that is that our faith oftentimes does not work. How do I respond when my faith doesn't work? And so as we've been working through this study, we've drawn some significant conclusions about the fact that faith works and how we respond when it doesn't. These are the questions we've been asking and answering. Three causes to examine when your faith doesn't work. What, what, what do I do when my faith doesn't work? And we've given three causes. It could be any one of these or a combination of them. Number one, if your faith isn't working, perhaps your soul is lost. Perhaps there is no faith to work. Second, perhaps you're saved, but, but, but maybe your theology is incomplete. Maybe you don't have a good working understanding of how sanctification works. And we talked about that for several weeks, about how the Holy Spirit sanctifies us by God's grace as we obey him. And so our role is grace-motivated obedience, and, and we trust God to sanctify us. But there's a third category, and this one is dominant for everyone in this room, and that is that your flesh is weak. Whether or not the first two are true in your life, the third is most certainly true for every one of us. One of the reasons that our faith doesn't work is because our flesh is weak. When we acknowledge that our flesh is weak, what we are saying is that we often do not resist temptation. When we consistently fail to resist temptation, we're not living as Scripture calls believers to live. Our faith is not working. And so one of the things that we must understand If our faith is going to work, one of the things we must understand is how to resist temptation. How do I resist temptation? Because this statement is absolutely true. Our faith will not work if we cannot overcome temptation. Your faith will not work. You will continually have this struggle that we've been talking about through this entire study if you do not overcome temptation. Now, for the last several weeks, we've talked about the fact in Matthew 26, verse 41, that Jesus equips his disciples for how they can avoid temptation altogether. He says, watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. And so we spent several weeks looking at those two principles of how we can avoid temptation. First, we need to have our guard up. We need to watch out. Second, we must pray. We need to pray as Jesus instructed his disciples to pray, uh, that, that, that God would not lead us into temptation and that he would deliver us from evil. Now, those are important statements in light of the fact that we can avoid temptation. You can see temptation coming before it hits you. It doesn't have to be that all of a sudden you realize you're surrounded in temptation and you never saw it coming. No, you can be prepared. You can have your guard up. You can watch. You can see it coming. You can pray that God would give you strength to resist, that he would change your desires, that he would lead you away from temptation, that he would deliver you from temptation. So watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation. However, there are times that temptation cannot be avoided. There are times when our role in temptation is no longer to avoid it, but to fight it. 
There are times when temptation is completely unavoidable. There are times when inevitably you will find yourself in temptation. Even the most mature believer will consistently find themselves in temptation. And so we need to equip ourselves not just to watch and pray, but with the knowledge that our flesh is weak, we need to equip ourselves for how to fight temptation. The passage that Morgan read for us, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17, equips us to do just that. If you're paying attention, you realize that that is a passage about the armor of God. The armor that God has given believers in their fight against temptation. The call from Paul is that you must wear that armor. God has given you armor that you must wear if you're going to, wear, if you're going to resist temptation. And so Paul calls you to suit up. Put on the armor. Okay? So that's what we're going to title this tonight. It's our call in, in our role to fighting temptation is that we need to put on the armor. We need to suit up. We need to find ourselves in a position where we're not only trying to avoid temptation, but when it hits us, we're ready to fight it. I can make you a promise before we even jump into this that if you are not prepared to fight temptation with the armor of God, you will fall. If you are not taking heed, like 1 Corinthians 10 says, if you think you stand, if you think you don't need the armor, you don't need the defense, Paul warns us, watch out, for you will surely fall. We must do more than just watching and praying. We must be ready to fight. Let's walk through this passage tonight. We're going to find our outline in a few minutes, but... We're going to start in verse 10 when Paul kicks off this introduction to the armor of God. And he encourages, he gives them a command. He gives them their, their mission as warriors. Here's your job. Here's your call. Here's your role. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. You know what your role is in regards to temptation? Your role, your job, your mission as a soldier and as a warrior is to be strong. Now, that's abstract a little bit, right? Like, what does it mean to be strong? How do I apply that? What do I do? How, how do I get stronger? What does that look like? Well, he continues to clarify the call to be strong. He says, be strong, not in your own strength, but in the Lord. Look at verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. How do I be strong? It's actually a passive verb. It's, it's, it's done to you. How do I be strengthened? Well, you be strong in the strength of his might. It is not our strength that makes us strong. It's his strength in us that causes us to be strong enough to fight temptation. And so he says, be strong, but do not be strong in your own strength. Be strong in the strength of the Lord. Now, once again, if I were to call you to do that right now, hey, be strong in the strength of the Lord. Just do it. It's a bit abstract, right? It's tough to wrap your mind around. How exactly do I be strong in the strength of the Lord? Because it's not my strength, it's his. So like, dude, I just sit back and relax and let his strength, like what does that even look like? How do I be strong in his strength? It's a good question. That's exactly the question that Paul wants you to ask, and that's exactly the question that this passage answers. Do you know how we are to be strong in the strength of the Lord? By putting on the armor of God. 
We are strong in his strength by putting on his armor. Verse 11 begins to explain that. How do I be strong in the strength of the Lord? Verse 11, put on the full armor of God. Why? Verse 11, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So you must be strong in his strength. The way you do that is by wearing his armor. No, like it's not your strength. It's not your armor. This whole deal is God's. It's God's strength in you and you get his strength by wearing his armor. It's the armor of God, not the armor of you. And so the call is put on God's armor. Why would you do that? So that you can be strong. He says it a different way in the end of verse 11. So that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. You are at battle against the devil. It's not a battle against another man or another woman. That's exactly what Paul says in verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. This struggle is against no man. No, this struggle, this battle, this fight in which you are to be strong is against the rulers and the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. This battle in which we are to wear armor, this battle in which we are to be strong is a battle against spiritual powers. Paul's clear in his terminology here. Even demonic forces, satanic forces that are working to make you fall. The spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places It's so important that we recognize that we are not strong enough to win that battle. When Paul talks about the rulers and the powers and the world forces of darkness and the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places, understand this. Students, they're stronger than you. They, they are stronger than you. Just, I mean, if we're going mano y mano, that's a battle you are going to lose. You're not strong enough. But that's why the call in this passage is not that you would be strong, but that you would be strong in the strength of the Lord. Because while they're stronger than you, they are certainly not stronger than God. And it is only in the strength of His might that we could ever resist, that we could ever fight. This is not a battle to take lightly. This is not a fight to approach lightheartedly. It is against powers and rulers. So how? How could I have a prayer in this fight? Verse 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God. 
Uh, it's it's going to be an overwhelming battle. You're not strong enough. So what do you do? Do you just give up? No. Believer, take up. Take up the full armor of God. Put it on you. Sue up so that you can fight. Because it's not your armor. It's his armor. And that, that, that statement is so essential. This, this is important to understanding this passage. We can only be strong in his strength if we wear his armor. God's, this is never you in isolation. God is all wrapped up in this thing. It's his strength. It's his armor. We're putting it on and then we fight. We resist. We flee. We fight the battle that is at times unavoidable. But we do so in his strength with his armor. Paul says, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, here's their marching orders. Here's their call as soldiers, having done everything to stand firm. Hold your ground. Don't give in. Fight in his strength with his armor. So then, we need to know, if we're going to fight well, we need to know, how do I get this armor on me? How do I suit up? How do I put it on so that I can fight well? And that answer is found in the rest of these verses. As we break this down, we're going to understand this as six essentials for standing firm in the fight against temptation. Six essentials for standing firm in the fight against temptation. Every one of these essentials is a piece of the armor of God. Understand this. You cannot fight this battle without all of the armor. You need all of it. You need every piece of armor you can get. This is outside playing Fortnite. Those of you who had a shield had a distinct advantage. But if one of you had rolled up in like a full suit of armor, you would have been untouchable, right? Like there's no getting a dodgeball through that. If you're head to toe covered, you have no vulnerabilities. That's not to say there's not going to be a fight, not to say there's not going to be a battle, but that you're equipped for the battle. The more armor you can get on you, the better. I say that to say we need all of this. There can be nothing left vulnerable. Why? Because you're not strong enough. If there's parts of you left vulnerable, that part is resisting in your strength, not God's, because it's in the armor that we fight in his strength. So we need it all. We need every piece so that we can fight well, so that we can resist temptation and stand firm. The first piece of armor is revealed in verse 14. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. The first essential that Paul gives us in this passage is that we must eliminate hindrances with the truth. We must eliminate hindrances with the truth. Now, you might see that and read what I just read in girding up loins and be like, what on earth? And every one of these points is kind of going to be like that, okay? These are explaining what I think Paul's getting at in this passage. When Paul says, gird up your loins, that's armor terminology. Gird up your loins with truth. How does that apply to the spiritual warfare? This is it. How do you fight in the strength of the Lord? Well, first of all, you eliminate hindrances with the truth. Let's jump into Paul's illustration of armor here. He talks about girding up your loins. That is, that is a command. You may have heard the expression like, did any of you have like the armor of God suit growing up? Like where you would 
Do you guys have that? You know what I'm talking about? Like I used to, me and my brothers all had armor of God suits and we'd kill each other with the armor of God. And uh, that's, that's like, it had the, you had the breastplate of righteousness, you had the helmet of salvation, you had the belt of truth. This is the belt of truth. Gird up your loins as a command to soldiers who, when they would get ready for battle, this is going to be a little bit weird, but like they wore, they put on like a kilt, like a dress type thing. Like they, the guys, it's like the opposite of what you can imagine. But when they were ready to go to war, they threw on a dress. Okay. So the guys are wearing this thing and it's like a long flowy deal. And what they needed to do was they needed to kind of not let themselves trip up over it when they're running in the battle. And so they would kind of tuck everything in with a belt, all of the loose ends that were hanging out, everything that could be a tripping hazard, everything that could hinder them from running well, they were to tuck it into the belt. They needed the belt to hold everything together so that their suit didn't fall apart and so that there was nothing that they could trip over in the battle. Paul's command here is to bind up what slows you down. Take anything that hinders you in this fight, anything that would get in your way, anything that would trip you up and just wrap it up, keep it all together, tie it tight with truth. Me and my uh, brothers played, uh, we all played soccer growing up and I vividly remember going to one of my younger brother's game and about halfway through the game, the uh, storm came and it started to pour. It wasn't lightning or thundering, so we were able to keep playing. But uh, I remember he was he was wearing uh, a pair of shorts, and I think he had put on my shorts that day. And I'm his older brother, so they're a little bit big on him. And it's pouring rain outside, and my brother's playing goalie. And uh, he's finding himself in this dilemma as the game goes on, to where as the rain comes down, his shorts are getting a little bit heavy, right? Because they're soaking up some water. So he's playing goalie, and he's like just standing here in this position, holding his pants up. Otherwise, he's going to be in an embarrassing situation in front of all the fans and the other team and his teammates and everything. So holding up his pants, and luckily the team they were playing wasn't very good. So he wasn't getting much action like the occasional the occasional time that they would come at him. He had a hand free and he was able to do his thing. Well, there was a breakaway near the end of the game, and uh, some, someone was, was coming at him. It, it was one-on-one, and you could see it in his face, had a decision to make where he knew this was going to need to be a diving play, probably both hands necessary, and it was either save the ball or lose his shorts and he tried to save the ball and I can't tell you what he would have given in that moment to have a belt that would hold everything together that would keep everything from falling down that would keep the loose ends from tripping him up okay he took a hit for the team that day but he wouldn't have had to if he had the belt If he had something that could take all the loose ends and just tie it together. It's that kind of a command that Paul gives. Wear the belt. Now he calls the belt, the attribute that he ties to the belt is is the attribute of truth. Which is an interesting characteristic to to, to tying things up. What Paul is saying is anything and everything that slows us down is to be tied up. It's to be restricted. And it's to be restricted with truth. With that which is true. There's an awareness that we've talked about already in the study that immediately becomes relevant. And that is when temptation comes, it comes in the form of a lie. It is a lie from the father of lies. And when there are hindrances to our pursuit of Christ, when there are things that are slowing us down, what combats those things is is truth. If there's something that gets in my way of pursuing Christ, it's the truth that exposes that thing as a hindrance. 
In John 17, we're told that your word is truth, is what Jesus says. Father, your word is what is true. And so it is his word that reveals hindrances, that exposes hindrances. It's through knowing the word that we can see something in our life and saying, that's going to get in my way. I got to tuck it away. I got to combat it with truth, confront it with truth, and tie it up with truth. I must know the truth. I must apply the truth. Or I will not be able to fight well. There will be tripping hazards. I will fall down before I even ever get into the fight if anything that would distract me would keep me from fighting well. Ultimately, this means that we are prone to believe the lies of temptation. And what we've talked about in this study is that we must know the truth if we're going to expose the lies. You must know the word. You will never recognize a lie if you do not know the truth. And so Paul says, bind those distractions up. Bind those hindrances up. And do it with that which is true. Students, there are all sorts of things in your life that may keep you from running well. Even things that aren't necessarily sin. What Paul is commanding these believers to do in this passage is to be aware that when there's things that could trip them up, that could keep them from fighting well, they got to tie it up. They have to keep it in control. They can't let it just flow loosely. I want to encourage you to evaluate that in your life. Is there anything that keeps me from running well? Is there anything that scripture would call me to be aware of in my life that's keeping me from pursuing Christ? If so, tie it up. Don't let it trip you up. Let it be bound by the truth. Gird your loins with the belt of truth. Eliminate hindrances with the truth. Paul continues, Stand firm, therefore, verse 14, having girded your loins with truth, and secondly, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So we got the belt of truth, and second, he calls us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. How can we summarize this? What is Paul calling us to do? I believe a second essential for standing firm in the fight against temptation is that we are to guard our heart with righteous living. We are to guard our heart with righteous living. A piece of armor that Paul uses to drive this point home is a breastplate. This was uh, something that essentially covered from, from their, their neck all the way down to their waist. It would have been uh, coated in, 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 a, in a heavy leather with, with metal sewn underneath it so that it could absorb blows. It, it protected the vital organs of the body. This is fundamental to, to fighting. That, that without the breastplate, every blow would be a fatal blow. Paul says we are to put on the breastplate, the breastplate this, this central piece of defense that, that keeps us from the fatal blows of the enemy. Wear the breastplate, he says, and he attributes the breastplate in the spiritual warfare of the believer to righteousness. He says, put on, in verse 14, the breastplate of righteousness. It's a vague statement. What does it mean, put on the breastplate of righteousness? There's all sorts of different ways that scripture talks about righteousness. We know that when we're saved, that we're declared righteous, right? Maybe Paul means that. 
Maybe he's talking about sanctification as we progressively become more like Christ, that there's more righteousness in our life because we've been declared righteous, that we can grow in righteousness. That's sanctification, growing in righteousness. How about a death? At death, we, we are made completely righteous. We're, we're, we're no longer struggling with sin. We are, at the time when we become glorified, we are made righteous. So we're declared righteous at salvation. We're made more righteous through our life. We're, we're made entirely righteous when we're glorified. What exactly is Paul getting at when he says put on the breastplate of, right, the breastplate of righteousness? Well, first of all, the first one is, is necessary. But what Paul's doing here is probably not saying you should be saved. He's talking to believers. So he's not saying, hey, put on the breastplate of righteousness, be declared righteous, be saved. That wouldn't make a ton of sense because he's talking to believers. The third option probably isn't Paul's command either because that would require that they go kill themselves, right? Go get made righteous when you're glorified. Wouldn't make sense for Paul to command that. So what we're left with is that sanctification option. That when Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness, what he's calling us to do is to be sanctified, to conduct ourselves righteously, and to grow in that progressively. The question is, how does sanctified living and growing in righteousness protect us? How is it a breastplate against fatal blows? Living righteously will protect you from Satan's attacks. Living righteously will protect you from Satan's attacks. In James chapter 4, James, write that, James writes that if you submit to God, humble yourself before God. It's righteous living. If you resist the devil that's righteous living, he will flee from you. What James says is that if you're living righteously, if you're submitting to God, if you're resisting the devil, if you're being sanctified, you'll find yourself in the position where the devil is running from you. You know what that means? That living righteously will protect you from Satan's attacks. This is an important principle that I want us to understand, and I think you'll find it to be so true in your life. A sinful lifestyle invites struggle. A sinful lifestyle invites more and more struggle in your life. Let me give you an example. Uh, you get angry with your sibling uh, because they stole your shorts for a soccer game. That, that leads you then to speak unkind words, right? There's anger that leads to saying something that you shouldn't say. You then get in trouble with your parents for something that you shouldn't have said, and, and you become bitter at them. Perhaps you lie to them, right? So we got, we got anger. That leads to saying something I shouldn't have said. That leads to lying, and then that may, may lead to, to bitterness. Then you speak disrespectfully to them. Now you're grounded. Then next time you see your friends, you're talking about how miserable your life is, and you're not gossiping about your parents. Like Sinful lifestyle invites more and more struggle. Sin invites sin. Let's go back to ground zero. You're, you're upset with a sibling. You're frustrated with something. But instead of saying something you shouldn't say to them, you respond righteously. 
No longer then do you sin in anger. And because you didn't do that, you don't sin in saying something you shouldn't have said. Therefore, you don't sin against your parents. Therefore, you don't hold bitterness. Therefore, you don't gossip. A righteous lifestyle protects you from struggle. It's in those simple decisions when we see temptation coming, when we respond the right way, that we find ourselves in a position where the devil's fleeing from you. But it's when we give in to those initial temptations that we invite more and more struggle into our life. And in doing so, we invite more and more temptation, which means more and more fatal blows, and we don't have a breastplate to protect ourselves. And so he says, put on the breastplate. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Be sanctified because righteous living will protect you from Satan's attacks, but sinful lifestyles invite struggle. That then brings us to a third essential. A third essential in resisting temptation and fighting against temptation. Number three, gain traction in the fight against temptation with an awareness of the gospel. Gain traction with an awareness of the gospel. Let's see how Paul reveals this third essential. He says in verse 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So we are called to do this next piece of armor that starts to talk about the soldier's feet. That the soldier is supposed to wear the proper footwear. Now there's all sorts of different views about what this means. Some people think that he's talking about wearing cleats or sandals or that he's protecting his shins or all all, all sorts of different interpretations on what this could mean. What I believe Paul is getting at in this passage is that he's calling them to, to put on the right footwear that will cause them to do ultimately what he's calling them to do. To stand their ground. To be able to stand firm, to not find themselves slipping in the battle, but that they have the right footwear on. They can hold their ground and stand firm. That is essential for a soldier, that he has the proper footwear. That's essential for anyone that's doing anything physical whatsoever. Okay, You're not wearing ice skates to a basketball game. And none of the Olympians that you saw last month are wearing flip-flops into the ice rink. Like, you need the right footwear. You're going to fail. You cannot succeed if you're not properly dressed. So it says, make sure you have the right footwear for the battle. What is the footwear? What's the footwear that in a battle enables someone to stand firm, to hold their ground? He says that we prepare ourselves with the gospel of peace. What? Does that mean? I think this this might be the most confusing piece of armor. It's interesting that Paul calls it the gospel of peace. When he refers to the gospel of peace, what he's talking about is the gospel message, but he's emphasizing a particular aspect of that. That you were once an enemy of God. That you and God at one point in your life were not on the same team. You were not at peace with him. You were at war with him. You were resisting him. You were his enemy. You hated him. But now, because of the grace of God, because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, you, if you have placed your faith in Christ, if you have repented, you are now at peace with God. Why is peace emphasized in the middle of a passage about war? 
I think what he's telling us to prepare our feet, to enable us to stand firm, what he's calling us to do is to get ready for battle with the awareness that God is on our side. That we fight this battle, but we're not fighting against God. Rather, we're fighting with the strength of the one who has the strength to help us win this battle, to enable us to resist and to overcome temptation. And so he says, prepare yourself, put on the right shoes, because when you have that awareness of the gospel, that awareness that you're no longer an enemy with God, no, you're his friend, he is on your side. You then have the traction. You can stand your ground. You can press on because you are prepared to fight. Without that awareness, you can never resist it. You can never resist temptation if that wasn't true. If God was still your enemy, you would have no traction, no ability to get grip in this fight. You need the right shoes. You know what those shoes are? It's an awareness of the gospel message. It means in temptation, when we are in a fight, when we're battling, we're reminding ourselves and telling ourselves, preparing ourselves that we've been saved by the grace of God and that we are no longer his enemy. He's on our side. Can I just tell you that is motivating truth. That is helpful truth in the moment of temptation. When you're saying, how am I going to resist this temptation? That you have the awareness that God is with you. And that because of the gospel of peace, because of his strength, you can resist temptation. So the first three essentials for standing firm in the fight against temptation is one, eliminate hindrances with truth. Two, guard your heart with righteous living. And three, gain traction with an awareness of the gospel. We're going to finish the next three next time we open Ephesians chapter 6 together. But I want to encourage you guys, before you close this down, to seek to apply these three essential truths for resisting temptation. Students, find hindrances in your life and eliminate them. Tie them up with truth. Use the truth to expose and confront them. Guard your heart. Live righteously. Be sanctified, knowing that righteous living protects you from Satan's attack. And third, gain traction. Continually remind and preach the gospel to yourself. Know the gospel and rehearse the gospel. And in the moment of temptation, respond with the gospel that you're no longer an enemy with God, but that he is behind you and that he is leading you and that he is drawing us and causing us to be able to resist, but only if we do so in his strength by wearing his armor.